read, and it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. So Moses and Eleazar, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. And so as we begin this study here tonight, you recall that it was in chapter 1, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights in our study of the book of Numbers, that the book started out with the census in the second year of the Exodus. And what we saw was the men that were numbered 20 years and above that could go to war. And so we saw a total number of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now keep in mind as we go through this, the different tribes that are going to be numbered, the different families that are going to be listed here, and there's a lot of names, so you're going to be quizzed on this next week, okay? So we're going to go through all of this, and you may be thinking, well, what can we gain from going through Numbers chapter 26? There probably isn't a church in Greeley that has ever studied Numbers chapter 26, and you may be right in that. But we're going to study it tonight because it is a part of God's counsel, His Word. And I think that there are some things that we can glean from and learn from as we go through this, some important lessons. But one of the things, first of all, as we look at this, is why another census being taken. And as you know, that this is a new generation that's going to go into the promised land, isn't it? In Numbers chapter 1, in the second year of their exodus, after God had brought them out of Egypt in orderly ranks, we saw that they would cross the Red Sea, and he drowned the Egyptian army. He brought them to the mountain of God, where we saw that he gave his covenant to them, um, and the law of God would be given to them as well. They would then receive instructions concerning the tabernacle, and so they constructed the tabernacle, which took about a year. So in that second year of their exodus, God had brought them up, as we saw, in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 to the border of the Promised Land, in that area where they could begin to go in. And they sent spies into the land, and you know the story, how they came back and they said, it's a good land, but there's giants in the land, we can't go there. So the people wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to stone Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. And so the Lord said, because of your continued unbelief and disobedience, this generation is going to die out in the wilderness. They were crying to the Lord that we're not going to take the promised land because we're going to get gobbled up and our young ones are going to die in the land instead of possessing it. The Lord comes back and says, no, your young ones are going to possess the promised land. And so this is that new generation that's going to go into the promised land. Now, here's the thing. In the first census of the 12 tribes, and again, you've got to keep in mind, and I just want to, to remind you because it can get confusing, and I'm sure that most of you know this, but in the 12 tribes, Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, uh, he is, uh, his grandsons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, are listed among the 12 tribes. And so some people look at the 12 tribes in Israel and say, well, there's 13 tribes. We saw the order of how the children of Israel were to camp. There was three on the north side, three on the east side, three on the south side, three on the west side. And so that makes up 12. But in the middle of the camp was the tribe of what? Tribe of Levi, wasn't there? And it was the Levites that the Lord said, you're not going to have an inheritance. So when you go to the maps of, you know, in the back of your Bible of the conquest of Joshua, you see that there were 12 allotments there 
of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. As we go through this census here, we're going to see that there's going to be 12 tribes that are going to be spoken of in their numbers. But then the Levites, that they had a completely different census that was taken because they are not given over to war, right? So this is a census of 20 years and older, those who are able to go to war. And the Lord said, you're not going to have an inheritance. That is an inheritance of land, but I'm going to be your inheritance. And you're going to be uh, there at the tabernacle ministering unto the Lord. You're going to assist the priest, and the priest would come out of the tribe of Levi as well. Later on, it would be the temple in Jerusalem. And so there were different cities, as we're going to see, that are dedicated to the Levites, and they were given cities. So I want to make sure that we're clear as we go through this. But it's interesting that in the first census, there was a totality of those men 20 years and above that could go to war of the 12 tribes. It came to 603,550. There are 603,548 that died out in the wilderness. And only two that would go into the promised land, and that was Joshua and Caleb, remember? Because it was Joshua and Caleb that said, who cares if there's giants in the land? The Lord has given us a promise, and that promise is that he'll drive out those inhabitants and that the land will be ours. So let's, you know, go gobble them up, and let's go get them. And yet they would not go. So Joshua and Caleb are only two that have come out of Egypt that are going to go into the promised land. Even Moses is not going to go into the promised land. Or Aaron the high priest. Aaron the high priest that we have seen in chapter 20 has already passed on the scene to be gathered with his people. And so here is Numbers that teaches us some very, very important lessons. And I know that I sound like a broken record or I'm reiterating this, but it's something that I have to be reminded of constantly. And that is that the Lord does not want me to, to live a life of, of dryness and wilderness in my spiritual walk. He desires for me to experience the fullness that he has, and that comes by what? By believing his promises, right? Be established in his promises and walking in obedience and, and, and being one that has a heart of thankfulness because we saw the characteristics of this first generation was a hardness of heart, was continued disobedience and murmuring, complaining against the Lord. Eight times we see the murmuring and the complaining of the children of Israel. And we see that they complained against God's provision and what God was doing. And, and they were complaining even against God's word that was given to them, that he was going to bless them. And so here we see some very important lessons that we need to make application for in our own lives. So many years of out there in the wilderness taking laps around Mount Sinai and the wilderness of Zen and coming back to Kadesh that we have seen the children of Israel because they did not enter into the promises of God because of unbelief, hardness of heart, and murmuring and complaining. And I pray that wouldn't be characteristics of our lives, that we would be ones that would be established just as this new generation is going to be established. So, this new census is going to be taken. You think, what can we gain from this census and all these numbers? Well, let's find out and see what the Lord has for us as we begin with Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. There in verse 5, you'll recall that Jacob's 12 sons, that his first son was Reuben, wasn't it? And so the children of Reuben were Hanok, the family of the Hanokites, and Palu, the family of the Palulites, 
and of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the family of the Carmites. And these are the families of the Rumanites. Those who were numbered of them were 43,730. And the son of Pelu and Eliab, the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abraham. And these are Dathan and Abraham, the representatives of the congregation who contended with Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when it contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when a fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. And so what we see here in this first census that from the tribe of Reuben, now we see God's getting ready to bring them into the promised land. They're near the end of their 40 years of Exodus. Uh, they're in the wilderness. And they have a number now of 43,730. Now, in the census, the first one in chapter 1, in the second year of their exodus, when you compare the numbers, and I'll kind of compare them for you, because I think that we can learn from it. In the first census, there was a greater number. That is, they had a number of 46,500. So what we see here is 38 years later, there's a loss of about 6% or 2,700 men, a little over 2,700 men. Here he mentions Dathan and Abram that were a part of this tribe here that you know the story, remember, of Numbers chapter 16? It was Korah. Now, Korah was not from the tribe of Reuben. Remember, Korah was from the tribe of Levi, wasn't he? He leads this, this company of men that would include Dathan and Abram from the tribe of Reuben that's being spoken of and 250 leaders of the congregation of Israel. They come to Moses and Aaron and say, Moses and Aaron, you guys take too much upon yourself, and every single one of us are special. And so uh, what they were doing is they were challenging Moses in his ministry, and particularly Aaron in the high priest ministry. And it was Korah from the tribe of Levi. Now again, the Levites assisted the priest in the ministry at the tabernacle. <coughs> Korah was not a direct descendant or one of the sons of Aaron. So he wanted to be the high priest, and we saw how the Lord there would deal with them very severely. Of course, it was Moses that told the 250 leaders of the congregation that you guys light your censers and come to the tabernacle tomorrow. If you guys want to be priest, okay, here's a priestly ministry. You're going to light your censers. We'll see if the Lord honors it. Well, the Lord didn't honor it, did he? He brought fire down from heaven and consumed those 250 leaders. It reminds me so much of Leviticus chapter 10, you remember? That it was two of Aaron's sons, when they dedicated the tabernacle, what did they do? They let their own censers. And as they did that, it was, those censers were supposed to be lit from the altar. They lit their own censers, ran into the Holy of Holies, offered profane fire before the Lord, and the fire of the Lord came down and consumed them. We don't want to ever try to take the glory away from the Lord. And here they were trying to do that in, in Leviticus chapter 10 and also 250 leaders of the congregation, trying to do a ministry that God had not called them to do. And we saw that they were consumed. We saw that they were burnt by fire. I do know this, that one way for any of us to get burnt out in ministry is that when we try to take the glory away from the Lord, and one of the things that Isaiah says very clearly is, I will, God says, I will not share my glory with any man or any woman. So we don't want to dare take the glory away from the Lord, but also to do that which God has not called us to do. And that's the lesson that we learn from these two individuals, particularly in the situation in Numbers chapter 16. That was Abraham and Dathan as well. <coughs> Excuse me. So 
Here is uh, a, a loss of about 6% of what takes place. And there is a loss that takes place with you and I. Whenever we try to put somebody down and exalt ourselves, and that's what they were doing, put down Moses and Aaron, they came with this false humility. Korah, he was swallowed up by the earth. These guys were consumed by fire. But the Lord will not honor that if we have that characteristic of our lives that I'm going to put you down so I can be exalted or I'm going to try to do what God has not called me to do because it's a work of the flesh and I'm going to muscle my way in or whatever it may be. Important lessons. There's just a loss that you're going to experience. And there's going to be a loss of ministry and a loss of what God wants to do with you, a loss of peace. There's going to be a lot of things that you're going to lose out on. And so here the tribe of Reuben, Reuben had a loss of about 6%. In verse 12, the sons of Simeon, according to their families, were Nemuel, the families of the Nemuelites of Jamin, and the families of the Jamanites of Jacob, the family of the Jaconites of Zerah, the family of the Zerites of Shaul, the family of the Shaulites, and these are the families of the Simonites, 22,200. 22,200. In the first census, they had 59,300. They have a loss of 63%. Why do you think they have such a great loss? Well, I think that the answer is found in the previous chapter. You remember that in the previous chapter, the doctrine of Balaam. After the prophecies of Balaam, Balaam comes along, he gives these Beautiful prophecies. He was hired by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse the children of Israel. And so Balaam went because of his desire for riches and, and wages of unrighteousness, as the New Testament says, because of greed, according to Jude's epistle. And he wanted to gain that money, but the Lord said, you're not going to speak only that which I speak through you. And so instead of cursing the children of Israel... We saw these four beautiful prophecies that were uttered by Balaam, didn't we? And so it was Balak that was the king of Moab that was very upset. And so what happened was is that Balaam comes along according to the book of Revelation chapter 2 when Jesus was writing to the church of Pergamos. He says that I have something against you and that is that you have some in your church that are holding on to the doctrine and teaching the doctrine of Balaam and that is to teach your people about immorality and idolatry. And what had happened was, is that Balaam comes to Balak and says, listen, I can't curse them, I can't do that externally, but here's something that you can do so that they're cursed internally, and that is have the Moabite women go down, introduce idol worship, and introduce sexual immorality, and that's what happened. You recall the story last week that there was a plague that went through the camp and there was 24,000 that were killed in one day. But here's the thing. Who was one of the people that were leading that? Who was the one that went to Moses in the tabernacle there, as we saw last week, that introduced this Midianite woman? And it wasn't that he was saying to Moses, here's my new girlfriend. He was committing this act of immorality, this sin, just right in front of the tabernacle in front of Moses and the priests that were there. And we saw that a spear was thrust through them. We talked about all that. Who was leading that? It was Simri, the son of Shalud, leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. So I think what happened was that plague struck the Simeonites very heavily. And so many in that tribe would die because of that plague because their leader did this act and went to Moses and said, hey, this is what we should be about. 
and, and flaunted his sin, and God dealt with him, and he ended up being killed. But I'll tell you the truth on this. That any of us who are called to be leaders, that we affect a whole lot of people. Whether you're called to be a leader in your home, whether you're called to be a leader in ministry, whatever it might be, there's a whole lot of people that we affect, and we need to remember that God desires for us to conduct ourselves in a godly way, in a way that honors Him, in a way that pleases Him. And as we do, then we can bless those people that we are leading. We're going to see in the next chapter that it's Joshua who's going to be called to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So Moses, I want you to take him to Eleazar, the high priest, and I want you to anoint him and have him stand up before the people. And he's going to lead the people. He's going to shepherd them. He has the Spirit of God on him. And he's going to be there amongst the people when they go into the promised land. And here was a leader of the Simeonites that committed this sin, and there was a whole lot of people that were looking up to him and then got involved in it, and they ended up getting struck by this plague. I cannot emphasize enough for you and for me. I don't care what it is that you're leading. All of us, I think, as Christians, that, that we need to be an example to others whether it's our children and our families, whether you're teaching children in, the, in, in children's ministry, whether you are doing a home fellowship, discipling men, whatever it might be, that you lead in a godly way, in a way that pleases the Lord. Because we do have an effect on a lot of people. And so it's an awesome responsibility that we have, those of us who are called to, to leadership. And so here, they had a decrease of 63%. Uh, 37,000 men uh, ended up uh, less than they did before. Verse 15, the sons of Gad, uh, we see. It's the next one, according to their families, who are Sephon, the family of the Sephonites, and of Haggai, the family of Haggites, and Shunai, the family of Shunites, and of Osni, the family of Osnites, of Eri, the family of Erites, of Arad, the family of the Aradites, and Ariel, the family of the Aralites. And these are the families of the son of Gad, according to those who were numbered of them, 40,500. So we see here um, in this census of Gad, uh, there was a loss of about 11% or over 5,000 men. And then in verses 19 through 22, we see the sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Judah, according to their families, were Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Perez, and the family of the Parzites, of Zerah, and the family of Zarhites. And the sons of Perez were Hezron, and the family of the Hezronites, and Hamul, and the family of the Hamulites. And these are the families of Judah, according to all those who were numbered them, 76,500. Now, the tribe of Judah, of course, is the tribe that Jesus would come from. And also, we see that they're the largest of the tribes. We're going to see a little bit later on in the chapter that the Lord's going to say, listen, the large tribes are going to get a large inheritance. The small tribes are going to get a small inheritance. And what we see after the reign of Solomon, then Rehoboam, his son, would reign, and the nation would split. And so down south, the southern kingdom was called the kingdom of what? Of Judah. Because most of that was the tribe of Judah. They had a very large area, and also along with them was Benjamin. All the ten northern tribes were up north, north of Jerusalem, um, there in, the, in northern Israel. And so they had a very large allotment that was given to them 
down south. And so they would end up uh, being called the house of Judah. And so verse 23 now, we look at the tribe of Issachar. The sons of Issachar, according to their families, were Tola, the family of Tolaites of Puah, and the family of Punites, and Jeshub, the family of Jeshubites, of Zimron, the family of Shemarites. And these are the families of Issachar, according to those who were numbered of them, 64,300. So here is um, the tribe of Issachar, and uh, they have a gain of about 18%, or nearly 10,000 men. So good for them. So the sons of Zebulon, in verse 26, we read, according to the families were Sered, the family of the Sardites of Elan, the family of Elanites of Jehelel, of the family of Jehelelites, and these are the families of Zebulonites, according to those who are numbered of them, 60,500. And so the tribe of Zebulon, they have a gain of about 5% or a little over 3,000 men. And then in verse 28, the tribe of uh, the sons of Joseph, according to their families, by Manasseh and Ephraim. So again, Joseph, the son of Jacob, his two grand, uh, sons of Joseph, grandsons of, of uh, Jacob, were included in the 12 tribes. So he begins here with the census of Manasseh, verse 29. Of Mechar, the family of the Mechorites, and Mechar begot Gilead, of Gilead, the family of the Gileadites. And these are the sons of Gilead, of Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, and Helek, the family of the Helekites, and of Azrael, of the family of the Azraelites, and of Shechem, the family of Shechemites, and of Shemeda, the family of Shemedites, of uh, Hefer, of the family of Heferites. Now, Zelophehad had sons of Hefer, had no sons but daughters, and the names of the daughters were Zelophehad, were, were Mela, and Noah, Hogla, Mik, uh, Malka, and Terzah. So, there are some interesting names for some daughters if any of you are expecting or have friends that are expecting and they're thinking of names and here are some names of some dollar daughters. Hogla was one of them. So <laughs> these are the family of Manasseh. Verse 27 is actually going to talk about verse 33, this, this man, Zelophehad, that had these daughters concerning inheritance law. So we'll get back to them. So here we see that their number was 52,700. So of Manasseh, they had a gain of 64%. Um, and so they had a gain of over 20,000 men. So why the big increase? We don't know for sure, but it was a, a big increase, and, and, um, and that's what we see happens with them. And so here are the sons of Ephraim, according, verse 35, to the families of Shethula, Sh- Sh- of the family of Shethulaites, of Betcher, and the family of the Betcherites, of Tahan, the family of Tanhanites, and these are the sons of Seth Hula, of Aran, of the family of Aranites. And these are the families of the son of Ephraim, according to those who are numbered of them, 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph, according to their family. So here of Ephraim, there's a loss of about 20% from the first census, or about 8,000 men. And then verse 38, we come to the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin that's where Saul would come from, Saul, the first king of Israel that we see in 1 Samuel. Also, the tribe of Benjamin would be, um, who else would come from the tribe of Benjamin? There's a little homework for you, so I'll ask you next week. So the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, and somebody else very well known in the New Testament came from the tribe of Benjamin, so be thinking about that. They were a small allotment that was along with Judah in the southern kingdom after the two nations split. 
So we see the sons of Benjamin, again, verse 38, according to their families, were Bela, the family of the Belaites, and Ashbel, the family of Ashbelites, and Aharim, the family of the Aramites, and the Sophom, and the family of the Sophomites, and the Hufam, the family of the Hufanites. And the sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman of Ard, and the family of Ardnites, and Naaman, the family of the Naamites. And these are the sons of Benjamin according to their families, those who were numbered with them 45,600. So with Benjamin, there was a gain of almost 30% of over 10,000 men. We're almost done. Verse 42, these are the sons of Dan according to their families of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites. These are the family of Dan according to their families. All the families of the Shuhamites, according to those who are numbered of them, were 64,400. Now the tribe of Dan, there was a gain again, a little bit of a gain, about 3% or 1,700 men from the first census. Dan, when they got their allotment, as you read at the conquest of Canaan, there in the book of Joshua, their allotment was right just west of Jerusalem over towards the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's a fairly large tribe as they went in. You can see by their numbers, 64,400. So they're a fairly large tribe. They had a fairly large allotment. But here's what happened. And one of the, the leaders of the tribe of Dan that we read about in a few books over is who? Was Samuel. I'm not Samuel. Samson. And Samson, who was the judge, was from the tribe of Dan. He was in that area, and he was always doing battles with the Philistines. And so what happened was the tribe of Dan in that area, they always seemed to be on the front lines of the Philistines, who were one of the major enemies of the children of Israel. So whenever they attacked, the tribe of Dan got it first. So what they ended up doing is they ended up saying, this is too hard. And they ended up going up north to the base of Mount Hermon, way up in the northern part of Israel. And there they set up their tribe, and their tribe greatly decreased in number. And what ended up happening again, when the nation split, that one of the first places of idol worship happened at Dan. And you can go there today and see where they have excavated, where the temple dedicated to the golden calf was. But as they went up in that area, it was peaceful up there. It's very beautiful. There's oak trees up there, there's walnut trees, there's fig trees up there, there's streams that flow through the headwaters of the Jordan River with trout in those rivers, very quiet area. They thought this is going to be a lot easier. But it wasn't where God wanted them. And they ended up being involved in idol worship. And they were a, a tribe that really decreased in importance and significance concerning the 12 tribes of Israel. Folks, I know that it can get difficult out there and where God has us, and it seems like the attack of the world comes and, it, and it's hard, and, but God's going to sustain you and he's going to help you. And he's going to be there with you. And just as we sung tonight, we don't have to be afraid of the Philistines that come against us. I know it's hard it's, and it's difficult, but the, God where he has you planted, and you know that's where he has you planted, he's going to take care of you. And you don't have to uproot and go somewhere where you think, well, it's going to be better over here. Sometimes Christian, and it doesn't mean that God won't move us. Don't misunderstand me. Understand what I'm saying tonight. Don't always fall into the trap. If I move over here, it's going to be easier, kind of like the grass is greener on the other side. And sometimes Christians and people can get into that mentality. Well, it's a little bit too more difficult here. 
And so this ministry is too difficult or this situation, so I'm going to run away from it, and I'm going to go over here and realize that there's problems over there as well. The grass may be greener on the other side, but remember this, it all has to be mowed. And that's the thing to keep in mind. And if God is saying, plant, I want you to plant it here because I'm going to strengthen you and teach you things and grow you. But growth isn't going to come by always running away from where God wants you to be. Always be seeking the Lord. Again, the Lord may move you. And the Lord may deal with situations where he takes you out of that situation. But there are times where he says, I want you to stay here. And he did not give the command for them to move up into the area of the north. But Lord, you be with me and show me the things that that you want to show me and show yourself strong on my behalf. So that's what happened to to Dan. And then we're almost done. Verse 44, the sons of Asher, according to their families, were of Jimna, the the family of the Jimnites, and Jeshuai, the family of Jeshuites, and of Beraiah, the family of the Beraiites, and of the sons of Beraiah, of Heber, of the families of Heberites, of Malch, Kael of the family of the Malchchaelites, um, and the name of the daughters of Asher were Sarah. And these are the families of the son of Asher, according to their number, of them 53,400. And so we see of Asher, there was a gain of 29% of almost 12,000. And then the last tribe, the sons of Naphtali, in verse 48, according to the families, were Jaziel, of the families of the Jazielites, of Gunai, the family of the Gunites, of Jazer, the family of Jazerites, and of Shalem, the family of the Shalemites. And these are the families of Naphtali, according to their families. Those who are numbered with them were 45,400. Naphtali, that tribe, and Asher, they were up in the Galilee region, around the Sea of Galilee, if I am correct in that. So verse 51, we see the totality um, of numbers of all of the 12 tribes that we just went through. These are those numbered, the children of Israel, 600 and 1,730. So there was a loss of 3% or nearly 2,000 in totality compared to the first census. But you know where the loss really was? In all those years out there in the wilderness. And that's why I keep emphasizing this. For me, one of the things that the Lord has has spoken to me, and, and I hope he speaks to all of us, I don't want to waste a lot of time and a lot of days or weeks or months or years in the wilderness experience with the Lord. And I know that all of us go through those times, but I don't want to stay there because the Lord has shown us very clearly in His Word what we can do to get out of that, and that is to trust Him, to look to Him, to have a heart of thankfulness because the Lord has blessed us. And I understand that we go through difficult things and find ourselves in difficult situations and we wonder, Lord, I've lost my job. You know, I'm in a a situation with family that is difficult, whatever it might be. I don't want to make light of that. But I do know this, that you and I as Christians, that the Lord is there with us and he will bring his promises to pass and we can be established in them and he desires to bring us joy in those situations underneath it all a joy unspeakable, and a peace that passes understanding. And we can be thankful that, Lord, that I belong to you, and there isn't any problem that's too big that you can't help me with, that you can't work in, and, Lord, that I know that you're there with me, and you'll never leave me or forsake me, and your love remains. 
but I don't want to be one that's murmuring and complaining and full of unbelief and hardness of heart. That's where the real loss was in these 38 years as they just continued to be in the wilderness, dying out one by one. So many of them died. And so verse 52, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance. To a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot, for they shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. And these are those who are numbered of the Levites according to their families of Gershon, the family of Gershonites, of Kohath, the family of Kohathites, the Marii, the family of Maronites. And these are the family of the Levites, verse 58, the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Malites, and the family of the Hushites, and the family of Kohathites. And Kohath begot Amram, and the name of Amram's wife was Jechabed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And to Amram she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. To Aram, uh, Aaron was born Nabad, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. So essentially what we've gone over, if you have a big allotment, a big number of tribes, you'll have a big allotment to the tribe of Levi, that you are my inheritance. He gives the genealogy of the tribe of Levi, of Moses and Aaron. And then Aaron, the high priest, had four sons. Again, Nabat and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10. They were consumed by fire. And so that mentions that in verse 61. Nabat and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the other children of Israel, because there is no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. And these are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these there was not a man of whose those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priests, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So once again, that generation died out in the wilderness. They're not going to get an inheritance, obviously. And only Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land. So that wasn't so bad, was it? Chapter 27, quickly. Then came the daughters of Salophahad. Remember him in verse 33? I'm sure you do. Remember all the, the daughters here? He didn't have any sons. He's the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machar, the son of Manasseh from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of the daughters, Melah, Noah, Haglah, Melchah, and Tezra. Now here's the situation that came up. And they stood before Moses, verse 2, before Eleazar the priest and before the leaders, and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in the company with Korah, but he died uh, in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So here's the situation. Here is this man. He had these five daughters. He didn't have any sons. Now, there was nothing specifically written in the law. There was no custom that would give an inheritance to the daughters. It always went to the sons, didn't it? So inheritance was very important back in ancient Israel to carry the name and to carry the inheritance through the family. And so it would go through the son. And so we see that that was prescribed God is getting them ready to go into the promised land. They're going to get an allotment of land. Each family is going to have an allotment of land. 
And so they want to keep that in the family name, keep that inheritance going. So here's a man who has no sons. There's nothing that indicates what should be done. So what they do is they bring it to Moses. Moses brings it before the Lord. And again, we're reminded that whenever we're faced with situations that we need to go to the Lord, we're not sure. It's a good example. Go to the Lord and seek Him. His Word guides us, but also He speaks to us and guides us by His Spirit. And so here's Moses. He's going to hear from the Lord. But always seek the Lord. His Word Seek him and decisions that we have to make. And I know that I've talked, I talk to people almost daily that have decisions that they have to make. What job to take, where to move, where to go here. And I always tell them, go seek the Lord. And he promises, Isaiah chapter 30, as we seek him and we take counsel of him, he shows us in his word, but he also gives us a peace that passes understanding. He gives us a peace that rules in our hearts, as Colossians tells us. And he will be a voice, Isaiah chapter 30, saying this is the way you walk in it. So you always seek the Lord in, in those situations where you're not sure, you know, what do we do here? And, and maybe it's not spelled out in God's law. And so, Lord, you need to guide me. And so here the Lord would guide them. As we see in verse 6, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Salophahad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, verse 10, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And so God seemed to be very pleased that these daughters brought this case before the Lord. And God declared if there is a man, no man, um, if there is a man um, that can't pass it on to his sons because he has no sons, then it could be passed on to the daughters. kind of always interests me. There are those who will come along and they're very liberal thinking. They'll even write on it. that will say, well, God, you know, uh, the Bible and Christianity are against women and it's a man's religion and all of this. We see that God is providing and blessing the women here. And also, when a woman got married, there was provided, what, a dowry. A dowry was given to, uh, to the, the bride's uh, father that was kept in case he would give her a certificate of divorce. And understand, ladies, that when we go through the scriptures and, and we see things in the scripture, that the Lord loves you. And he does not love the man over the woman. There is a principle of headship. The Lord comes along and he says, I want the men to lead in the home and in your marriage. And he says, I've set it up that way. But he does not say that he loves the man over the woman. That you have a very important place in his heart. He died for you. That is his son, Jesus Christ. He desires to use you. You're a blessing to your family. And he desires to do a marvelous work through you. Don't let anybody come along and snow you. That Christianity is just a religion for men. Or the God and Bible, you know, suppress women and all of this. The Lord came and died for you and loves you. And he desires to use you. I am very impressed with the ladies that are in this fellowship that are used of the Lord. Their gentleness, their, um, the ladies that are here that are sensitive to the leading of the Lord and hearing of the Lord. 
And it's very, very much of a blessing to all of us. So I thought I'd throw that in. So verse 12, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into Mount Abraham and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall also be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zen, during their strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. And these are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. Moses, I'm going to take you to Mount Abraham, and I'm going to show you the promised land. Now, it's interesting. When you get to Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says that Moses stood on Mount Nebo. You say there's a conflict there. There's, there's a contradiction. There isn't a contradiction. Abraham is a mountain range there in Jordan. And it's still called that mountain ridge, Abraham. Part of that mountain ridge is Mount Nebo. So I've been to Mount Nebo in Jordan. I've stood on this mountain that Moses would stand on and see supernaturally all the promised land. And he was shown the promised land supernaturally. So we know the story that Moses, that he was not allowed to go into the promised land because of what we hear here um, at the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness that happened just a few chapters ago. He struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock when the people were thirsty and he said must we fetch waters for you rebels and the lord said moses come here you misrepresented me and and so you struck the rock when i told you to speak to the rock and what is this we are going to get you water you're taking the glory away from me i'll get the water and provide the water for them so moses you're not going to go into the promised land but god in his grace would take moses there on mount nebo he would show them the promised land but you know what? God is even more graceful than that because God would sneak Moses into the promised land eventually, wouldn't he? The Mount of Transfiguration. On that mountain, who was Jesus talking to? He was talking with Moses and Elijah. So God snuck them in. So God is gracious and God is good. But Moses, an incredible man. But one of the things that I like here in verse 13, that when you're done, and Moses is almost done with his ministry, he's 120 years old, and then he's going to die and be gathered to your people is what the Lord says. I like that phrase. It has not been an easy time for Moses, has it? I think two people, and I, I look at all the men of faith and the people of faith in the scripture and their ministries, and, and they were difficult. But I think Moses, what an incredible ministry. Forty years leading three people through the wilderness. And they complaining against him and murmuring and all of this and he endured and he was patient he had a heart for them I think him in the Old Testament Paul the Apostle in the New Testament absolutely amazed me and Moses is going to come to an end he's going to be gathered to your people it reminds me so much of what we looked at on Sunday as we finished chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews is telling those Christians you guys have need of endurance. And I know that you've gone through tribulation and reproaches and they've plundered your goods. You've lost a lot. But I want you to know this, that there's a greater inheritance and a heavenly inheritance that waits for you. And whatever it is that you go through in this life and the difficulties and the sorrows and the hard times and the losses, to know this, that we're going to be gathered together one day in heaven. I can't wait for that day. And we're going to be there with him. And there's a heavenly inheritance that awaits for us and rewards for what we've done in this body, whether good or bad, as Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 tells us. And so I want to encourage you to keep going. 
You keep running your race, keep the faith, that you fight the good fight. And there will be those hard times and battles. There will be those difficulties. And there will be murmuring and complaining. There will be, Lord, where do I go? What direction do I go? Challenges, all of that. But know this, that the Lord will see you through. And he's going to see us through. And then we're going to be gathered together to be with him. And so we see here as we finish, the Lord, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, verse 15, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom the Spirit is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. And so what we see here is Moses says, Lord, appoint a shepherd, a leader, to lead the children of Israel in, that they may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Does that remind you of something? Joshua, the Old Testament Yeshua of the New Testament on the hillside in Galilee in Matthew's gospel as he looked out upon the fields and he saw the people scattered and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that? Lord, appoint a shepherd. Joshua, the son of Nun, is going to be that shepherd. And here what we see here is the qualities of what it is that brings you into leadership in serving God's people. First of all, you have to be chosen. It wasn't that Moses presented his list. It wasn't that Joshua popped up and said, I deserve to be the leader. It was the Lord that said, listen, Moses, there is going to be a leader, and it's going to be Joshua. And Joshua, second of all, not only was he chosen of God, but he was a servant. He was a shepherd. We've seen Moses with a shepherd's heart, haven't we? And Joshua was that shepherd as well. And he was faithful in the little things, and now God has given him greater things to do. And one of the things that I always tell young people, particularly that want to get in ministry, you be faithful in the little things, and God will give you greater things to do. Joshua was one that was there standing on the base of the mountain when Moses was up on top of the mountain, Day after day after day, Joshua was there because that's what God wanted him to do. And there wasn't videos to play. There wasn't texting that he could do to his friends. There wasn't any of that. And I'm sure there was moments that Joshua was thinking, how long is this going to be? But he was faithful. And he could have very easily gone down into the camp and said, I'm going to make a name for myself. But he stood there in that place where God wanted him to be. He was faithful in that. When Moses would fold up his tent, and Moses folding up his tent would go outside of the camp, and he put it up. Where was Joshua? Joshua was there at the door. He was always there ready to serve Moses, and it was Joshua who was due battle down in the valley when the Midianites, as we saw in the book of Exodus, and Moses is up on the hill with his hands up. Because he was Moses' assistant. He was there doing battling. He was there right next to Moses. He was there in that place where no one saw what it is that he was doing. And as you are faithful in those little things that may seem to be little in the world's eyes, they're very significant to the Lord. And not all of us are going to be Joshua's, you know, leading three million people into the promised land. But he's going to bless you as you lead your family. As you minister to those at work. Other family members, maybe perhaps a small group that you minister to in the body of Christ. 
But don't ever get discouraged where the Lord has you. And don't get ever get discouraged in what the Lord is doing through you. But Joshua here was learning things, God preparing him for 40 years. He was a man of faith. He said, let's go into the promised land. I'm ready to go. He was a man that knew how to do battle. And he had a shepherd's heart. And then the last thing, which is probably the most important thing, it says here in verse 17, um, that, or in verse 18, excuse me, of whom is the spirit? He was spirit-filled. And any of us that are used in the Lord in whatever capacity it might be, it is the work of the Spirit in our lives and the work of the Spirit through our lives. And the only way for us to truly have fruit that is bearing unto Him, we are abiding in Him, yielded to the work of the Spirit in our lives. It can't be a work of the flesh. And we're going to see that Joshua was a man of the Spirit, was a man that listened to the Lord, that was sensitive to the things of the Lord, that was spirit-filled as the Lord used him. And the Lord desires for us to be ones that are led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit in whatever it is that he's called you to do. And so as we finish here tonight, verse 19, you set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority in him to all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hands of Moses. I want to say this one thing, and I know it's getting late, but just a couple more comments, and then we're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to be dismissed. So stay with me. Joshua, in the book of Deuteronomy, we will see that Moses will come to him and say, you're going to lead the children of Israel, so be strong and of good courage. Joshua chapter 1, the Lord comes to Joshua and says three times, Joshua, you're leading the children of Israel into the promised land. Everywhere where you're going to go, you're going to possess the land, so be strong and of good courage. Be strong and good courage. Be strong and good courage. The end of Joshua chapter 1, it's the people that come to Joshua. That Joshua will follow you, just as what's being talked about here. We'll go in, we'll go out with you. We'll listen to your voice like we did Moses, but there's one thing that we ask of you. You be strong and of good courage. So can I remind us all tonight that there are people in your lives that need you to be strong and of good courage. And it isn't, look how tough I am, and I eat glass, and I spit nails, and all this. It is saying, Lord, I need you. I need you to strengthen me, for me to be strong and of good courage, that work that you're doing through me. Because there are people in my family, my wife and my kids. There are people that are linked to me in my life, there are people that I minister to that need me to be strong and of good courage in that example. And my prayer is this, that every single one of us would be, Lord, help me to be strong and of good courage, and I believe particularly in the day in which we were living in. People need to see Christians 
that are strong of good courage like Joshua, that are filled with the Spirit of God, that are living their lives in humility in a way that is pleasing to God. And when a difficulty comes, that they're drawing on the strength of the Lord. And it's a wonderful, powerful testimony to them to be ones that stand up like Joshua did and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because I personally believe that the enemy and the world and what we're going to face is going to become more difficult as we get closer to the Lord. And I pray for Joshua's that are raised up in this fellowship. And I pray for Joshua's that are examples to the people around you in your lives. I pray for Joshua's that take the heed of what the Lord says, be strong and good courage, and that we would continue on. He learned from Moses. <laughs> Talk about strong and of good courage. And I look at Moses' life and I think I probably would have folded after a week. But the Lord sustained him in the key that we saw that Moses was a man of prayer and he was a man of the word and he was a man that believed God. So important, important lessons that we have seen in the book of Numbers that will help you be the Joshua that God wants you to be and for you to be strong and of good courage. Well, Let's finish in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these powerful lessons that are given to us in your word. And, Father, I just pray that we would be ones that, Lord, we would take heed to what brought that wilderness experience to the children of Israel and what can bring a wilderness experience in our lives. And Father, I pray that all of us in this room, that we would be ones. That we would be men and women of your word. Men and women of faith. Men and women that turn to you and say, Lord, please, make me strong and of good courage. That we look to you to guide us and direct us in everything. And Lord, in the journey that we go through in life, it can be difficult and it can be hard. And maybe perhaps there are some that are here tonight that are going through those times. But Lord, make them strong and courageous. And it does take courage, we know, to be one that stands for righteousness and, and lives for you, Lord. So help us to do that. Knowing that you're going to take care of us. And knowing that you're going to guide us and you're going to work on our behalf. And Lord, that we can look to you for everything for direction, we can look to you for comfort. We can look to you for guidance. And Father, I pray that we would be ones that the people around us would see you working and showing yourself strong on our behalf. That we have the courage of the Lord. That we have the Spirit of God as evident in our lives. So Father, I pray, keep us strong. Lord, help us to keep going. Father, I pray that you bless everyone here as we get ready to go our way. We thank you for this night. Bless our fellowship together. And Lord, we look forward to when we meet again. And we especially look forward to when we will all be gathered together. But until that time, Lord, help us keep running our race to keep the faith 
to fight the good fight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. <laughs>